There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your stop before attending your concert. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort with little to no break in period. I wear mine every time I go out, especially to a concert. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Welcome to This Country Life. I'm your host, Brent Reeves. From coon hunting to trot lining and just general country living, I want you to stay a while as I share my stories and country skills that'll help you beat the system. This Country Life is proudly presented as part of Meat Eaters Podcast Network, bringing you the best outdoor podcasts the airways have to offer. All right, friends, pull you up a chair or drop that tailgate. I think I got a thing or two to teach you. My journey as a coon hunter. Part two. We're back this week with more tales of coon hunting and coon dogs. The banditos we chase are curiously smart creatures and their survival instincts of slipping away from hounds is about as legendary as it gets. The continuing struggle of my exploits along with observations and lessons learned are up next on Meat Eaters of This Country Live podcast. But first, I'm going to tell you a story. About three years ago, someone sent me a want ad for lack of a better term that they'd seen on Facebook in some hunting group. The post had a had a number listed and it said looking for someone to get coons off a deer lease in central Arkansas. Well, like Doc Holliday in the movie Tombstone, when drunk Johnny Ringo challenged the herbs to a duel and they ignored him, prompting him to shout, Wretched slugs, don't any of you have the guts to play for blood? Doc Holliday calmly said, and now y'all say it with me, I'm your huckleberry. That's just my game. Well, that's just how I felt when I saw that ad. I broke a nail tapping the numbers out on my phone to talk to the man and offered the services of me and my coonhound Whalen. I talked to him, and in short order, he'd sent me a waypoint on Onyx. And just like that, 
I had 400 acres of private timber ground to hunt in the middle of ag fields. It was too good to be true. All short growth hardwood timber surrounded on four sides by rice, corn, and soybeans. It had a, a drainage canals on one end and would hold water on about 60% of it that was about ankle deep, making it primo for crawfish, tadpoles, and frogs. Three house favorites of Ricky Raccoon and his kin. Good night, nurse. If I was gonna draw on a piece of paper the perfect place to train an up and coming coon hound, that would have been the place. The coons were thick in there and when I dropped Whalen in there the first time, he treated a coon before a cat could lick his behind. He treated so quick I thought he'd messed up. Now I can count on two hands and still have fingers left over the number of times that old Whalen has slick treed. He just doesn't do it. And if y'all don't know what a slick tree is, it's like striking out in softball. It is no bueno and a bit embarrassing. A slick tree is when a dog sets in treeing, which is the way of saying, hey boss, I found him. He's up here in this tree. And then you look and look and finally decide, hmm, no, he ain't. That tree is slick, meaning there ain't no coon in it. Nobody likes a lion coon dog, especially the fella he belongs to. Now, some dogs do it because they just can't figure out which tree he's in and they gamble or they're, they're just not good enough to decipher it and figure it out. That prey drive and, and the want of praise gets, them, gets the best of them. Now, old Whalen. He ain't never been bad about that. He ain't never been bad about that at all. And I've heard Michael Roseman say he's one of the most accurate dogs he's ever seen. And Michael has seen a lot of dogs in his lifetime. And coon hunting and making lights for coon hunters is his business. So when he made that tree 50 yards from where I cut him loose, instead of getting on to him and making him go on, I checked the tree and there he was, the masked bandito looking right back at me. Less than a minute in, and I'm already looking at a coon. It was that way for quite a while. We were flat smashing the coons in there, and Waylon was getting some good training and experience, and so were the coons. Now, I'd hunt there three or four nights a week and never fail to tree coons. It was more or less automatic. I'd park my truck on the north end of the property, walk into the edge of the woods, Cut Whalen loose, and he'd be struck and, and barking in pretty short order. A few times, and y'all gonna think I'm crazy, but he'd strike a coon in the same place, or at least on the same couple of acres, and I believe in my heart that it was the same coon every time, because that joker would make a couple dips and dodges in the woods before making a big loop and then a beeline right out of the timber into a flooded rice field and soybean fields across the county road. Now let me tell you, it's hard for a dog to catch up to a coon in a flooded field. They'll get in there and zigzag around, and it's hard for the majority of dogs to gain ground on them because the rice is thick or the soybeans are thick, and, and they, the coons will just get away. Meanwhile, back in the woods, old Tricky Ricky will pull some fast ones too. And in this scope of woods, I got to witness seeing the coons that Waylon was running on more than one occasion. I just happened to be standing in the right place at the right time to see the coons come ambling by with a hound in hot pursuit. Now, some folks think that when the hound is trailing and barking at a coon that he's, he's always looking at him and running through the woods in front of him 
and that's nearly always not the case. Even when I cut Waylon loose and he treed 50 yards in front of me, I seriously doubt that he ever saw that coon until he fell out of the tree and on the ground after I poked a hole in his ear with my twenty-two. That coon was probably spooked up that tree by us walking in before I had ever cut Waylon off the, off the chain. But Waylon could smell him because I was casting him into the wind, which means I had him facing into the wind when I cut him loose. And he just went straight to where he, that coon had just climbed up in a tree and started treeing. What's really going on when the hound is chasing the coon is the dog is barking where the coon has been. And here's a short lesson on how that works. We all leave scent wherever we are, regardless if we had the burrito bomb for dinner or not. We are constantly shedding skin cells from our epidermis called scurf, spelled S-K-E-R-F. Well, guess what? So do coons and all other little creatures running around and making a living in the woods. It's kind of like dropping breadcrumbs, but instead of leaving a visual trail of gravity-influenced sign for the hound to follow, these breadcrumbs of scurf are floating on the breeze in a microscopic particles that are affected by wind, humidity, temperature, and age. And by age, I don't mean the age of the animal. I'm talking about how long it's been since the, the animal passed through there. The dog is following the scent with his head up for a ways and down for a ways. And while moving through the woods and depending on how the scent is flowing, he could be several feet away from where the coon actually walked, just catching scent enough every few feet to make sure that he's going in the right direction and staying on course. This is called drifting the track, and that's what Waylon does as compared to a ground-and-pound style of hunting where the dog has his nose literally on the ground smelling for every bit of scent that as he moves through the woods following the coon. My old buddy Rex had a dog named Shadow that was absolutely excellent at this and that was his style and that's the way he hunted he could he could sniff out some coons that had been traveled through a long time before but the drifting style dogs are usually faster on the track than the ground and pound types but those dogs make fewer what we call loses on the trail by staying as close to the scurf plume as possible now the first time this happened that i saw a coon that the dogs were chasing I was hunting with a new friend of mine named Michael Crosby. Michael was looking to get his first coon hound, and I took him along one night to give him a dose of what it was all about. We cut old Waylon loose, and he was making a big loop down through that 400-acre block of woods, and as he started back toward where we were, he struck in barking. I looked at my Garmin, and he was over 300 yards away, but pointed back towards where we were. Michael and I stopped, and we cut our lights off and listened. I was explaining what was going on as it unfolded. I was talking soft and giving him the play-by-play -play of what I assumed was going on by how Waylon was barking while still listening to Waylon. He was more or less coming straight to us, and I told Michael, you know, if we're quiet and still, he's liable to run that coon right over the top of us. I was joking, but I was also thinking how cool that would be if he did. All of a sudden, the conversation kind of died out as Waylon's barking picked up and got closer and I could hear something coming toward us from about 30 or 40 yards away. Now, I ain't scared of the dark, not in the least. Not in one little bit, but standing in the middle of the pitch black woods at ankle deep water, hearing something wading towards you will heighten your situational awareness. 
I switched on the red lens of my sunspot light and I looked toward where that racket was coming from and sure enough, here comes the coon. We didn't move an inch. That joker looked like he was out for a Sunday stroll, not even trotting to amount to much. Every now and then he'd, we'd, we'd see him break into a short lope for a few yards and then go back to actually just walking with a purpose. He got to a little log that was laying in front of us and hopped up on top of it and walked the length from one end to the other before jumping off the ground at a 45 degree angle and heading due east and we watched him go slap out of sight like he wasn't late for work but if he wasn't careful he might be cutting it close. Two minutes later here comes Waylon barking his brains out about 10 yards further away from where that coon had just come through. He was downwind and, and drifting that coon scent as it settled according to all the environmental factors that affects it like, like I just talked about. You know, wind and humidity, all that. Waylon stayed on that coon's track until losing it a hundred yards or so from where it came by us. No idea where, what happened. Sometimes it's just like the, the world opens up and swallows them whole. They just disappear. But we lost him. Other times, it's like when Rex Whiting and I were hunting in that same spot one night and Rex was training a tree and walker pup named June that he was running with Waylon. Now, basically, the same scenario played out just like it had when, when Michael Crosby and I were in there a few nights before. Waylon and June struck a track and it looped back toward where we were standing. The only difference is this time the barking was a whole lot more excited, which usually indicates that the hounds know they're close to the coon. They're either actually seeing or hearing it running, or the scent is so fresh and hot that it's easy to follow, which actually can sometimes work to the coon's advantage. But it appeared that it was like the same song, second verse from the other night, and I'd already told Rex about it. I remember saying, we fixed a look at this coon. And he immediately turned on his red light, and I did too, and I grabbed my phone out of my pocket, and I started videoing. Sure as I'm sitting here right now telling you this, we saw that coon coming and could hear not only the barking of Waylon and June, but their feet splashing, coming close behind. They weren't far away when that coon ran past a big tree, stopped right in front of us, less than 10 yards away, ran back a few feet, and laid down as flat as a flitter. He looked like Wiley Coyote after a steamroller run over him, and both of those dogs ran within a few of him barking and raising sand like they was about to catch him, and they kept going. That coon got up like he'd been taking a nap on the couch and just loped away. Waylon and June had gone 25 or 30 yards past where that coon had stopped, and then they came roaring back to pick up the scent. Waylon opened up and took off with June right behind him. That coon turned east, just like the one had done a few nights ago. And after a hundred yards or so, the dogs lost him again. Now, I can't swear that it was the same coon from the hunt before, but he ran that whole circuit just like the other one did. They struck him and trailed him almost identically, and he looped around and came back to that same two acres where the one before had done. Then that coon turned due east, and disappeared just like the other one. No, I can't swear it was the same coon, but I saw them both, and it looked just like him. <laughs> and that's just how that happened. We 
We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but there's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Sea foam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of sea foam to get their truck or boat going. You do know someone. Me. I've been using it for years. Really. People everywhere rely on sea foam to keep the trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of sea foam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com. Dot com to learn more. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited additional offerings this spring, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort with little to no break in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. I never go to a concert without mine, and it was all they could do to keep me off the stage. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth my journey is a coon hunter part two for a fellow that's been a coon hunting for the better part of 42 years one would surmise he's had a bunch of dogs during that time and normally they'd be they'd be right but in this case in my case i've only had three For the past 32 years, my career has limited the amount of time that I could dedicate to training and being able to properly care for a dog the way a hound should be cared for. They need space and they need hunted. Being on call and involved in cases and and such was a limiting factor over a large portion of that 32 years, and only in the past five years or so have I been at a stage in my job that I could dedicate the proper amount of time to do it. So in 2019, I decided it was time for me to start looking for a hound of my own. I wasn't going to be real particular about the bloodline or the, or the breed for that matter, although I've always leaned toward tree and walkers. That was my first coon hound in my teens, and 
Even though my second one was a blue tick in my late 20s, I never lost the preference for walkers. My dad was a walker man, but his dogs were used for running coyotes. I remember taking my city mouse girlfriend at the time, Alexis, down to dad's house to meet him. And when we got there, you could hear his hounds over in the pen barking and raising cane. I introduced her to my dad as we walked in the door, and she asked him, what is all that barking? He said, that's my cold dogs barking. She asked him, well, what kind of dogs are they? He said, they're running walkers. She scrunched up her nose and said, running walkers? They need to make up their minds what they're doing. He laughed and loved her from that very moment. I had never even thought about the paradox of that name until she said that. Anyway, I was looking for a walker dog, and for six months, I made phone calls, I sent texts, emails, and I scoured over the internet looking for a dog that would suit me and what I was after. And what I was after was simple. I wanted a dog that would mind and tree coons. I wasn't after a particular style of hound, like I didn't care if he was a dog that drifted a track or if he was a ground pounder or a combination of both. I wanted to be able to turn him loose, have him tree me a coon, and come to me when I called. I had no interest in competition hunting. I got nothing against it, and I loosely follow it due to so many of my friends that I know and hunt with that do enjoy it. Now, there's a strategy and skill in competition hunting, and the handler that knows the rules best will win a competition even when his dog may not be the best dog in the cast. And that's cool. It involves the human element and the bond that's created between a handler and a hound. The handler has to know the tendencies and habits of that dog inside and out to be able to listen to him and tell what's going on just by the different barks or tones of different barks and make his call to the judge based on his observations. There's a lot of skill in that. Me, I ain't that good at it. And me winning a competition hunt with Waylon rests squarely on his shoulders, not my brain. Michael Roseman, Rex Whiting, and I would hunt together, and we'd use all the rules of a competition hunt, and they'd keep a running tally in their head of the time left in the hunt and what everyone's score was. Heck, I couldn't even keep up with my own, much less everyone else's. It was fun, but it just wasn't my thing. If it's your thing, you should see what Alan Gingrich and Trevor Wade and all those folks over at the United Kennel Club are doing. You'll find them online at www ukcdogs.com. Then just search up the Coonhound events. They've got a lot going on, and there's always room for more participation, and these folks will bend over backwards to help you. So, to get back to my journey, after six months of looking, I found a dog that interested me. I was scrolling through Facebook Marketplace, and there was a picture of a six-month-old tree and walker puppy for sale with an address that was 45 minutes from my house for $250. Something struck me about the picture. I can't tell you what it is to this day, but there was something about that dog that called to me. Up to this point, I had looked at well over a hundred pictures of dogs on the internet and talked to a multitude of people on the phone or through texting about a jillion dogs that I'd never laid eyes on. But I had never been drawn to going and looking at one until now. I called the number, I talked to the lady, and made an appointment to go see the dog the next day. She informed me that the address on the Facebook ad was wrong and that they had moved nearly three hours away from me instead of the 45 minutes I originally thought. Okay, 
I was still going to look. I couldn't shake the image of that hound out of my head. When I pulled up and saw him, I knew he was the one that I'd be taking home. When I found out his name was Waylon, it solidified it for me. For half a year, I had fretted and worried about finding a dog and having one reason or another not to even commit to going and looking at one. Now, after learning at the last minute that I'd be driving two hours further away, I hadn't been deterred. Pulling up to the address and seeing the dog in the subpar living conditions he was being housed in, I didn't really know if I was going to be buying him or rescuing him, but I knew I was leaving with him. Come to find out, he was rescuing me. It was Thursday, March the 12th of 2020. I had made it back to the outskirts of Little Rock when I got a call from Alexis saying through her job, she'd learned of a possible exposure to the COVID virus earlier in the week. This was when all that started. They were instructing her to go home and we had to report our family's possible exposure to my employer in Bailey School. Now Bailey was in the first grade. Alexis had called the school and they said that we'd have to come get Bailey and do that whole quarantine thing that was just starting to get so popular then. It was all the rage and everyone was doing it. I would have never thought that Bailey wouldn't get back to her class that year. I also would never have thought a dog could have meant so much to us in such a short amount of time. Bailey was doing her classes online now, so she was free to roam around with me and our new hunting hound. So while elementary school was basically out for Bailey, coon hunting school was in for her and Waylon. The rest of that spring and summer was spent taking that dog to the woods and turning him loose and just seeing what he'd do. Bailey went with me on a bunch of those trips. She liked riding the four-wheeler and watching and learning what Waylon was doing and asking a million questions an hour while unknowingly trying to burn the retinas out of my eyeballs by shining her coon light in my face every time she looked at me. I bought a metal diamond-plated dog crate for my truck. That attracted the attention of a guy that happened to be driving by one time who stopped and introduced himself, and that was Rex who is now like a member of our family. He introduced me to Michael Roseman, who is now like family and who I'm going hunting with tonight, all because of a dog. I bent the ears of those boys and several others in the training of old Whalen, and they helped me beyond measure in the development of this dog from coon hound to coon dog. And there's a difference, a big difference. He was born a registered purebred coon hound, but he earned the title of coon dog by being one. I took him religiously, every opportunity that I had that didn't interfere with anything related to my family. Alexis leaves for work early, so she goes to bed early, and I work from home and I set my own hours. Bailey goes to bed early, so when they hit the hay, I usually hit the woods with this dog. The best advice I ever got was from my dad, who passed away 12 years ago, and I mentioned it earlier in part one of my journey as a coon hunter. When he said he could always tell which dog out of a litter that was going to make the best because it was the one that got hunted and messed with the most. 
You can't take that literally because some have more natural abilities than others. He meant when all things are equal, the pup that gets hunted will be better than the ones that are still sitting in the pen. And that's simple and straightforward, but his message was more hidden. In order for that dog to get better, I had to take him out and give him the opportunity. In doing so, I was outside and I was getting better. My dad taught me a million things about trees and animals, hunting, fishing, taking care of dogs. And the whole time he was really teaching me how to take care of myself. I just didn't know it. It worked the same way with old Whalen. All I really did was give that dog the opportunity to make choices, both good and bad, when I cut him loose. The good choices were praised and the bad ones were corrected. The maturation of a hound is very comparable to that of a person when you think about it. A dog lives a week of their life for every day of ours. Imagine if it was the other way around. We wouldn't live long enough to see how good a dog could be or have the opportunity to learn just as much or more from them as they do from us. The core of my law enforcement career was during my hiatus from owning a coon hound. I saw more tragedy and ugliness during that time of my life than I'd ever imagined one person could. I live with that, and dealing with those memories, or or not dealing with them, has led me to where I am now. I used to hunt alone a lot. When I first started out training Wayland, I'd go five nights out of seven, slowly implementing what I desired for him to do and corrected the things that I wanted him to stop. I had a lot of sitting on a log in the woods in the dark time. And while I was watching Whalen's tracker, I was thinking about stuff. It allowed me moments to talk out loud with my dad and talk to the good Lord, too. And my journey as a coon hunter is still going on, just like my journey in my faith as a husband and a father, a brother, and a friend. That old dog that Alexis follows around the house with a, a vacuum like she's hot on his trail has been an important factor in helping me do all those things by making me slow down and pay attention to what was going on around him so I could get a clear picture in my head of what he was doing. And in doing so, I started to pay attention and see what was going on around me. That, as Barney Fife would say, was very therapeutic. The rest of us would say therapeutic. So that's your challenge this week. Find your whaling and give yourself the opportunity to have that sitting on a log in the woods in the dark time. Whether you're literally doing that or on your dinner break at the office. If you're on your dinner break at the office, you're probably going to want to leave that coon dog at home. I'm just saying. Hey. I hope y'all have enjoyed these episodes about coon hunting and the adventures me and Waylon the Wonder Hound have had. I got a lot more stories about him and chasing those river bottom banditos that I'll share later, but like I always say, that's another story. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our show with others. You folks are simply amazing, and I appreciate you allowing me some time during your life to talk about mine. It don't matter where you're from or where you are, we're all alike. We can sit down and have the noon meal and I can call it dinner and you can call it lunch, but it's still going to taste the same. This is Brent Reeves signing off. Y'all be careful. 
this festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your stop before attending your concert. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. I wear mine every time I go out, especially to a concert. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.